Welcome to episode 48 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my enduring co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you guys? Doing good. Can't complain. Uh, we do have a fantastic guest tonight. I don't know who wants to do the introduction, uh, but if neither of you step up, I guess I'll... Uh, Introduce him. Uh, since since he's your cohort. All right. Well, you might know him from a small CNC company out in uh, Torrance, California. But tonight we have with us George Sanchez of uh, Carbide 3D. He is the vice president, chief operating officer, uh, what, senior electrical engineer. Anything else you want to add? Uh, shop cleaner, uh, coffee maker. <laughs> All very important things. Welcome yeah. aboard. Well, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, very excited to uh, be here. Hey, George. Glad you could make it tonight. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming out. Yeah. Uh, I've been uh, bugging Winston to invite me to the show, and he finally uh, caved in. I finally relented. Yeah. <laughs> I had to twist his arm. Now, now we got to figure out some way to, to convince Rob to come on sometime. Uh, I think just uh, bring him a box of donuts. Tell him, hey, man. <laughs> that's an easy that's sell. An easy sell yeah. So, George, have you been with um, Carbide since day one, right? You, it was you and Rob originally? Yeah, day, day zero, uh, right from the get-go. It's uh, uh, Robert and I, and then Ed joined us a couple of months after. So the three of us were pretty right. close to the beginning uh, of the company. But, uh, uh, yeah, the first conversations about Carbide uh, was just Robert and I. Yeah, Carbide, it's been around almost 10 years now, right? Is that correct? Um, it's been around since 2014. Um, but Robert and oh, I had okay. a, a, okay. a consulting company before that, uh, and that that was around since uh, 05. Okay, that's it. so. What were we all kind of doing before uh, decided to create a desktop CNC machine? Which we'll we'll delve into that. Oh a man, how, how far should I go back? Uh, <laughs> well, just like what were you, you mentioned that you and Rob had a consulting business. Um, kind of what what industry were y'all so kind of working um, in? Stop me if I uh, if I if I'm going on too long about this, but um, so Robert and I. I uh, used to work at a big toy company back in 98, doing a prelim design work for dolls, uh, action figures, that kind of stuff. You know, very, very basic things with a battery and a couple of lights and a couple of sounds. So we did that for seven years. And then we decided that we wanted to try it uh, on our own, just do consulting, some toy invention, prototype work. So um, we formed our, our own company in 05, did that for a while. And then um, we had that... Uh, 08, 09, it was a big recession. So we had to decide, you know, do we continue with this with this toy thing, which is highly speculative. You have to design toys, you know, 18 months ahead of time. A lot of small toy companies went out of business. And we had a ton of exposure to uh, rapid prototyping equipment, 3D printers, laser cutters, CNC mills. So we decided, why don't we just kind of do our own thing? So I don't know if you, many people know that Robert... Uh, wrote Meshcam a, a while ago. So he, he was very familiar with the kind of CNC space. So took a lot of his knowledge, a lot of the things we learned uh, doing manufacturing and then decided to just go for it and launch a Kickstarter. And so that, that was that was the, the kickoff of the company, that uh, Nomad Kickstarter. Oh, okay. And that was the Nomad, I guess, the before the pro, right? The, yeah. We, actually, we, I don't know if I've... We call it now the Nomad Classic. Uh, at gotcha. the time, we called it the Nomad 83 for the uh, working area. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's just where that I, came from. Yeah, I, know. I didn't even realize that. We say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, eight go, oh. eight inches by eight inches by three inches in wow. C. Yeah, that's... 
I was like, what the hell is that? Even mean? Like, what's an 883? Okay, cool. I'm also the chief naming officer. <laughs> chief pun yeah, officer. Chief pun officer, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you and I met in person at um, Autodesk University. I think it was uh, 2018. Yeah, 2018. That yeah. was fun. Yeah, it was. And um, I think you mentioned you do a lot of the... Uh, or I don't know if you still are, but you did a lot of the electrical or um, PCB layout for the controller, like for the Nomad. And I think that's also shared with the Shape Oco now. So you, you guys have been through a few revs of that, right? It's kind of getting better and better every time. Yeah, I've I've got a pile of boards that I save uh, every revision of every board that we've made. And, and it keeps growing and I keep debating, you know, should I... Should I either throw it away or frame it? And I can make up my mind. But we started with the version that we did on Kickstarter, which was a, it, it was a bit convoluted. It was a, a shield that you plugged into an Arduino, and then it had like cables to, to run the spindle control, and it was kind of a pain to put together. So when we started working on Shipoka, we wanted to kind of unify the electronics a bit. So took what we had for the Nomad, made it a little bit better, made it work with both machines. And we've been improving on that design now ever since. Uh, and then to answer the the other question, yeah, I part of my day job is you know being the uh, lead uh, electrical engineer, I guess. So all the board layout, all the board design, all the electrical stuff uh, kind of falls to me uh, at Carbay Three D. So I know a lot of this because I, I see everything you work on on a day to day basis. But when you were working back in the toy industry days, did you notice the the shift from like sort of like analog toys to digital toys, and how did that tie into your uh, technical background? Because I assume during those earlier days, the the electrical stuff was much simpler. Uh, so how did how was the transition from like let's say your education through your earlier career and then to now where you're jumping back in and designing much more complex PCBs and things like that? That's a that's a great question, Winston. So the the stuff that we used to work on back in '98, like like I like I said at the beginning, very simple. You've got a an LED, a button, a little eight bit microprocessor that holds you know, 10 seconds worth of sound. And every time you press the button, you get a little sound effect and a little blinky thing. And that covers, you know, maybe 90% of all all toys, even now. The margins in the, in the toy industry are, are really tight. So there, there wasn't, at least when I started, a lot of room to do this uh, sort of innovation with higher end electronics. Some companies were beginning to do it. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with or remember Furby. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when when Furby came out, it was actually a, I think a sixty five hundred two processor, but very simple compared to what is available now. But through programming, through clever inputs and outputs, uh, they, they did this 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 little guy who kind of in a way revolutionized the industry a bit because it, it, it all the tech companies now started looking at how do we come up with our own Furby and how do we buy this Furby chip, right? Which nobody knew what the Furby chip was. And then you start opening them up, and you you find out it's a little eight bit processor. So in the in the group that I work with, Robert, we started trying to push the envelope a little bit, trying to find you know ways to fit, for example, an accelerometer, which I think in quantity at, at the time were maybe a dollar, which sounds really cheap now. But if you're trying to stick an accelerometer on a doll that costs you know two or three bucks to make, that's it's really tough. So part of our challenge was you know how do we convey this 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 uh, innovation in a way that's cost effective. So instead of an accelerometer, maybe you end up using a tilt switch or uh, there's a little uh, little switch that is a little spring. And when you shake it, the spring makes contact with the case and that creates a uh, like a 
motion, right? So that's five cents versus a dollar. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, this um, this is the one example I can I can think of, but there were a ton of those. Uh, yeah. So now that you're you're doing um, kind of you know, motion control boards for desktop CNC machines, I mean, are you do you see that kind of as uh, I don't know, what sort of, like natural evolution from where you started, or is this uh, like did you have to go back and kind of completely relearn everything? Uh, is that what you're kind of getting at, Winston, with the digital like transition to yeah, digital? Yeah, I, I figure it's a. Uh, a little bit of a jump because you're you're problem solving in very different ways. One of them is uh, it's part electronic, but it's also a lot of uh, industrial design, mechanical design, and things like that. And now you're really deep diving a lot more complicated things. So one of the projects, uh, I think it was the maybe the last project or the second to last project that we worked on at the company before we left was a, a little video player. This was before the uh, the iPod came out with their iPod video. Uh, so maybe two thousand three, two thousand four. Something like that. So we had jumped from, let's say, something very basic like uh, like a doll with a button, and she says a couple of things to this video player that was uh, Linux based, uh, and you would buy these little cartridges with a SpongeBob or what have you. And you plug in the cartridge and and you'd watch a couple episodes. It was at the time kind of revolutionary. There was we still didn't have the you know the iPhone wasn't out yet. You didn't have portable video devices. There's, there were still things like portable DVD players that people hooked up to their cars. Yeah, this was before flash memory got really yeah, cheap. Yeah, before flash memory. And this, the development cycle for this thing was maybe 16 months. And we followed that up with a little uh, video camera for kids. And it was, it was a really clever video camera. We, we shipped it with software that would you, would, you would take your video clip, uh, add a music track to it, and it would uh, kind of automatically edit a little video for you. Uh, it was actually very cool, but it... Didn't do very well in the market. And that was sort of the final thing where we were so, I don't want to use the word, exhausted doesn't quite fit, but we were kind of just burned out. So we figured if we're going to burn ourselves out, uh, let's do it on our own. Uh, so that was uh, kind of a big jump from very basic analog digital to a little more advanced to let's just see what happens when when we, we try this ourselves. Um, so we started doing um, small Small prototypes, like one of a kind prototypes, all the way up to toy lines that had a couple hundred thousand SKUs. And that's where I first kind of relearned, Eddie, the the sort of way to lay out a board for mass production. So that sort of gave me the tools to, once once we started Carbide, to take some of that knowledge that we had on not only building one of a kind prototypes, because we have to build prototype machines, but also designing and building for uh, for production. What, what kind of considerations do you have when you're doing that? I, I don't know much about building a board or anything, but what kind of, I mean, real quick, like what kind of things do you consider bef- for production that would help that kind of thing for, for manufacturing a PCB board? Um, we, without getting too technical, right? Uh, things like yeah. uh, like PCB trays with uh, the weight of, of, of the copper that you make the board out of. Uh, you want to make sure that your traces are not going to burn up when you start running NEMA 23 motors. ESD protection which is the bane of my existence. Uh, <laughs> uh, These the trim routers not only generate a ton of EMI noise, but also the, the static buildup on, on a CNC machine is just nuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So ESD protection on the, on the inputs and uh, on all the outputs. Uh, uh, the way you have to do a ground plane around the USB connection is, is something that it's a bit of an art rather than well, it's both. It's it's technic it's technical and it's and it's an art. But Robert and I, when we talk about layouts, you know, we always say like a, 
when you see a, a board that's laid out well, it looks it looks almost like art because you learn all these little tips and tricks, you know, where lines that shouldn't cross each other, uh, things like that. Hmm, okay. But but yeah, the, the super basic stuff, yeah, ESD protection, make sure your 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 PCB traces are correct. Uh, make sure that it's easy to update the firmware too, that you break out all the things that you got to break out uh, for updates in the field, for testing, for customers that maybe are ambitious and they want to update their own firmware, you know, give them that ability to do that. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so like how how do you, what was the thing that made you decide to like make a CNC? Because you guys are doing something totally different and then all of a sudden like you guys made a Nomad. So was there any one thing that kind of led to that or was it a culmination of things? It, it was, it was a, a combination and a culmination of things. Uh, when we worked at this, at this tech company, we had 3D printers available to us. But at the time, you know, these were only one person knew how to use them and they, they cost, you know, half a million bucks. There were SLA printers, there were a couple of wax printers. So we had a bit of exposure in the sort of digital fabrication from, mm-hmm. from way back when. For example, if you wanted to make, uh, I had this little project. It was a little uh, infrared little t- toy tank. Very cool. And I wanted to print uh, a little housing so I could put some electronics in it. I designed it in Rhino myself. It was super chunky, but you know, for a prototype, you know, whatever. And I, mm-hmm. I sent it to the to the to the wax printer. It took, I, I want to say, eighteen hours to print a little <laughs> two two by two inch little tank. Uh, once, yeah, yeah, it was it, yeah, and there was a queue, and you had to get in line in the queue, and uh, people could bump you. It was, yeah, it's so the uh, the desktop fabrication tools were were not readily available back then. Uh, when we left and formed our own company, we we bought a. I think our first prototyping tool was a laser cutter, uh, an epilogue. Super awesome. We still have it in the shop, actually. Then we bought, um, I want to say it's a, a Stratasys printer, maybe. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it was a dual filament printer, uh, or maybe not, not not dual filament. It's filament, but also uh, would print the uh, support material. And you had to put in uh, this, this uh, filament spools with a special ID chip in it. And you had to put these little pieces... Um, uh, not PCB, I'm sorry, uh, ABS little tables that cost yeah, 10 bucks a piece. And to remove the, the, the support material, you had to put this thing on a ultrasonic tank. It was a, you know, it was a great tool, but <laughs> man, it took forever. <laughs> and, yeah. And it sounds like it. <laughs> and we also had a little share line mill, uh, which we used all the time. Robert used it all the time. And we had a, a, a Tormach PNC 1100, I think. Uh, so we had this this kind of exposure to different three D printing tools. So when we when we kind of d- needed to make a decision on whether or not to continue with with the path of toys or uh, consulting, or do we kind of write our own destiny and sort of t- take a chance on something? And we were familiar with CNCs with three D printers and laser cutters, um, and Robert obviously is very familiar with uh, toolpath generation algorithms, all that stuff. So we kind of combine all our knowledge and voila, there's the Nomad. That's awesome. I mean, that that's great. I, I love the Nomad for what it was able to do for me and what I was able to learn for from it. So I'm very grateful that you guys uh, got together and created that. So I'm appreciative of all the work that you guys I, did. Yeah, we, uh, I wanted one of those RC cars that you were making. <laughs> I like, how do I get one of those? <laughs> Uh, I'll send you one. Consider it done. Yeah, we used to Friday Friday <laughs> afternoons. Uh, we used to raise RC cars in the toy company parking lot. Uh, it was super fun. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah, I'll send one over to you guys. Yeah. So, and, you know, back to kind of, I don't know if it ties things up a little bit, but uh, the Nomad really was the tool that we wanted to have all along. We wanted something that would be in the realm of, of a 3D printer and usability, but it could give you the flexibility of a CNC mill. And we would have loved a tool like that when we were right in the thick of it, of toy design. Yeah, I think, I mean, there were probably a few small machines or pretty similar size, like from Roland, but there were, you know, at least one or two more zeros on the price tag. Yeah, that was important to us too. You know, we we were a, a small shop, you know, I don't think we ever got to more than four or five people. And when we were designing the Nomad, it was just two of us. Uh, so we we wanted something that would not be, you know, like a ten or $20,000. We just wanted something that'd be affordable and it would be, you know, really good and, and be something that didn't really exist at the time. I think we, we sort of kind of kind of find a, a really good niche for the Nomad and, and kind of ran with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you guys decided to go with CNC machine and not a, just yet another 3D printer on the market. And when was that, 2015, 2016? Yeah, we we started designing it in, in actually 2013. Uh, this is that's oh, okay. that's when we kind of first made the uh, the decision. It was uh, end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, and we spent a good six to nine months sort of trying out different things, uh, different different boards, uh, picking out the firmware we we're going to use, uh, writing the first beta software. Yeah, so the first the first nine months uh, was a lot of development work, and then we we got the first kind of prototypes, and after that it was it's been kind of a whirlwind. When was the uh, Kickstarter? It was May of 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I missed the Kickstarter. I don't think I heard about the Nomad until it was probably, you guys were just about a month before you guys announced the Pro, because I had actually ordered a, a Nomad 883, and it was kind of a long lead time to get one. Yep. And during that wait, you know, during the wait, you guys announced the Pro and uh, allowed it, anyone in the queue to upgrade. So that's kind of how I ended up with the Pro. And uh, yeah, that machine was a workhorse here. I, I miss it. I, I sold it to a, another instant machinist oh. uh, late last year. We'll, t- we'll yeah. take care of it. <laughs> we take care of all the machines. <laughs> it's still close. I know he's having a good time with it. And um, so I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm glad you guys, uh, cause I, I mean, at the time, I, the only other, there was hardly anyone else doing desktop CNC, other, you know, the older, like Sherline mm-hmm. and stuff like that, uh, manual machines converted, right? But there was like nothing coming out of the box at that price range. It was CNC out of the box, right? Yes, CNC out of the box. We like to say that you could be cutting within 15 minutes and and uh, depending on your level of experience, that, that was very doable. Uh, I actually hadn't used the CNC machine before. Uh, I, I, I used the Sherline, I used the Tormac a little bit, but the Nomad really was my first sort of uh, like real CNC experience. And I was able to you know be productive within you know a few minutes of, of opening it up. So. Uh, that was a big win for me. Yeah, same here. I mean, I think I had less than six months since I'd ever used a CNC machine before I got the Nomad. And look at you now with your yeah. Daytron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's like I'm starting all over again. It's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of reminds me of those days. It's, you know, is this really going to work? <laughs> and you're always amazed when it does, right? So uh, You're like, ha I can't believe it about- worked. That yeah. happens every time I program something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. No, I just, I mean, just having the flexibility to do pretty much any material you want, you know, that was, I've said it a few times on the show, but like that was, I started off with 3d printers, but I got pretty quickly bored with just doing plastic and, uh, 
being able to do brass, aluminum, you know, Delrin, all kinds of stuff, right? Was, that was what the big draw to me for to desktop CNC. Yeah, that was uh, when you mentioned the the brass and the aluminum. That was a big reason why we designed the Nomad. We knew that, it, like I said, right? This is the tool that we wanted to have all along. If we'd had a, a machine that would allow us to make our own gears or our own linkages uh, out of brass and aluminum for for different toy prototypes, it would give us a leg up on on the competition. There's other other uh, small toy consulting companies, right? And you kind of compete with them on ideas and on prototypes. It would have given us a huge advantage. So that was important to us that it be able to cut uh, the the type of materials, not not just plastic. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you guys. Um yeah, you, know, you built a tool probe in, which is also very good. It's like uh, the first three machines I bought had tool probes. I just assumed everyone, I, every machine came with the tool probe. Like a lot of the bigger machines, right? The older, bigger machines don't have mm-hmm. any probing or anything like that. So it's kind of interesting to see that it's uh, the desktop machines. Are- we stole a few features from other machines, you know, that uh, that we'd seen and we knew, uh, like big industrial machines. Uh, so the tool probe was was one thing we wanted to have from the get go, just just for the usability aspect. We we had a, a saying, and we still have it, right? No one should have to fight a tool. So we wanted to make it as as, as friction free as possible for for people to just be able to use the machine. So making tool changes uh, as easy as possible. Uh, so the tool probe was right? when I first saw it working, I thought, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, this is great. There's nothing else like it right now. You guys are still Gerbil based, right? Did you ever yeah still Gerbil and or? Eight bit. Yeah, we're still uh, control yeah, system, we're still right? Gerbil based. We're we've, we're on the latest Gerbil, which is one point one F, I believe, uh, and, and we've been running Gerbil for oh, okay. you know since the inception of the company. Yeah, it's amazing what you can get out of an eight bit control. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, Sunny did a fantastic job with the firmware. Uh, it's been it's yeah. been great uh, and and relatively bug free. Do you get to uh, use Nomad or, or any of the machines there at Carbide? I know you guys have some. Some bigger machines for the production side. Um, do you ever get a chance to kind of just make something for fun? Uh, not, not as much anymore. I used to a little bit before when we were doing the classic. I had a little more time to do you know, kind of fun projects, uh, Christmas time, stuff like that. I use it now mostly when we need to test out a new feature or something I'm working on for the boards. If I make a spindle, uh, a code to the spindle programming, uh, I'll run a few things. Uh, when we test the uh, Carbide Copper, our PCB software, uh, I'll run it a little bit, but I don't. I don't get uh, much time to do uh, fun side projects anymore, which is kind of a bummer. Oh, okay, yeah, I was kind of wondering if you had one at home or or any kind of like CNC. I'm sure you have no, a, probably a 3D I, printer. At home. I've been wanting an XXL forever <laughs> to, to put in my garage because I want to build. <laughs> I don't know if you guys play video games. Uh, if you know Bioshock, I oh. I want to build yeah. a Big Daddy suit in my garage uh, at some point. Oh man, <laughs> and I just. I just don't have any 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 time right now, but it's like that's on my on my bucket list. I want to build a, a big daddy suit. That would be pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, just show up to yeah, work one day uh, with a big <laughs> with a big big daddy suit. Yeah, if you do it, make sure you uh, record it so uh, you get a good YouTube yeah, video. Yeah, wisdom. Out of that. Let's do a collaboration, you and I. <laughs> you know, I uh, I do have some some ideas for machining EVA foam, which would be perfect for cosplay if it works. So uh, we, we might be able to actually make that happen as a longer form uh, Carbide 3D video series. There you go. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty quick stuff to machine too. So. Have you ever sold a Nomad to a former coworker? I'm trying to think, uh, not to a former coworker, but 
to to a guy we knew in the toy invention business. Uh, he ended up buying a Nomad, and we kind of knew after the fact, uh, or we learned after the fact. We're like, oh hey, uh, Dan has a Nomad. I'm like, oh no way, awesome. Uh, when we launched the the Kickstarter, um, a couple of our, our our friends in the toy biz uh, pledged for early Nomads, and we sent them Nomads, uh, and they, they they were using it for a while. All right, that's cool. That's I was just wondering cool. if it ever came full circle because like you made these tools because you saw a, a need in the market. So I was wondering if like other people from where you used to work might jump in on that. But that's yeah, cool. I know, I know of one and I know of another person uh, uh, who works at the company we used to work for who, who bought one through official channels. So the circle of life, the nomad circle. <laughs> <laughs> so the original nomad 83 and then um, how long was it before the pro came out? Uh, let's see. Um, 2014. 18 I months, I think, right? I think it was 2016. Yeah, when we... when we, uh, yeah. So there's a funny story about why we launched the Nomad Pro. We were testing uh, a different rail size for the Nomad 83. So I bought a couple of prototypes of, of uh, 20-inch rails. And when it came time for me to place the order for the, for the production rails, I forgot to check the email and I sent them the updated uh rail sizes and we've got and we received pallets <laughs> of 20 rails uh in our shop and what were y'all using before like 18 we were using right? 16s or- so the rails came uh just you know got the forklift we put them in the shop i went to check them out and i looked at them and i, I was just horrified like oh my god uh, what have i done <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was the best possible mistake yeah, so, to make. So i think like i walked to robert's office i'm like oh man i you won't believe what I just did. He's like, oh, what happened? I told him about the rails. He looked at me. He's like, ah, well, I guess we should just start designing around them. And uh, and we we kind of had planned to to do the pro. And that's why I was looking at different rail sizes. Uh, but that sort of sped things up <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I think the, the pros over-engineered in the good way, right? Yeah. It's, it seems really rugged for you know, basically the design envelope it, it's a little beast and, uh it's it's yeah. really well balanced it's it's uh it's very rigid for for a desktop machine um i mean winston's got steel on it which is like amazing yeah i got titanium on mine yeah like first year i, I saw it. that uh so didn't didn't break it <laughs> yeah then still going yeah. so uh there you go good thing i bought those rails <laughs> what i appreciate about the nomad and i hope that other people do as well or if they're interested in getting one is that Everything that I've learned from that machine, I have carried over into every other thing that I've done, right? Working with bigger machines or, or programming or whatever. Everything that I've learned on that thing taught me so much, but I got to do it at a fraction of the price and I got to do it without the fear of breaking it because I've crashed that Nomad hundreds of times and that thing is a tank. Like I can still make parts within, you know, less than a thou tolerance if I really want to. And that's what I love about the machine. And I hope that people, if there's anything that they take from this, is that it's a well-made machine. It's really good for somebody who wants to learn or do small projects. It's really accurate and rigid. Um, like it just, and everything that you learn from there, if you choose to continue down the path of CNC or programming in the industrial world or bigger, it will carry with you. Everything you learn kind of comes with you. And I think that's kind of the key thing because when people want to get into the, um, whether they want to get into the business of being a machinist or program, whatever, sometimes you don't have that accessibility to learn, right? Like, no, you can't afford a master cam license or you can't afford a Haas CNC or even Tormach to some degree. 
but I'm pretty sure everyone can scrounge up enough money to get a nomad and put it in their house and kind of learn as they go and then figure out what it is that they want to do with it. But it's just like, it's such an amazing tool uh, for such an affordable price. And the things that I've learned from it have been invaluable. And I basically started my career change from that machine. And I owe pretty much a lot to everything that I learned on there. Cause um, so I've wanted to say that and, and just in case anyone's curious about what are some of the benefits of that thing? I know you can make cool stuff, right? We can make coasters, we can make, we can cut titanium, but in the, in the very real sense of it, it's like the, what you can learn from it is worth every penny in my opinion. So I just wanted to kind of say that just in case anyone's listening or on the fence about the Nomad. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, it's definitely a creativity multiplier. Yeah, I, I never once felt I was held back. Um, anything that I wanted to do or make, I could figure out a way to do it and it, I didn't have to like wrangle with the tool to make it work. It just worked. It just did what I told it to do. And then, you know, of course, if you want to dial it in to get tight tolerances, you could do that. But I mean, it just did what I, what I wanted. I didn't have to sit there and finagle with it or, or do anything else. So that's what I really appreciate. It's, it's really great for somebody who's starting. Um, and you know, you don't want to buy a machine and sit there and, tram it and figure all this stuff out like that's stuff that's not really that fun like you want to just get into making and i think the faster you can get into making the faster you can hook somebody in, in this kind of path or this career that's so. that's awesome yeah it's like a, it's a very low intimidation factor machine that was that was big for me um it was my second machine i was uh you know looking for a larger build envelope versus what i had before and it like was perfect for it I end up doing with it for the next year, which was like spinner production, right? <laughs> so fidget spinners and a bunch of other stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was like, I think within a week of getting it unboxed and doing a couple of test cuts, I was basically signing fixtures and putting it to work like really hard, like eight hours a day for weeks and weeks. <laughs> so you guys are like the um, perfect customer for, for the Nomad. Uh, we've had conversations uh, on both the Nomad and Shipoko. You know, what is what is the upgrade path for, for someone who has a Nomad at Shipoko? And, the, you know, they've learned the basics and, and the fundamentals of CNC machining, and, and now they're ready for more. And when you go from from uh, from a Nomad or Shipoko, that you really now have to go to, to more industrial machines, I think. Uh, and a lot of the knowledge that we've built up over the last, you know, five, six years now on, on running the big production machines, that, that all filters down to our own machines and our own control software. Uh, so it, it's, it's really exciting for me to hear you guys, you know, say that you, you, you've used the machine, you've learned it, you've kind of maximized it, and, and now you're ready for the next step. Uh, and that next step is, is, you know, the more industrial stuff, which is just great. Yeah, like, you know, I, I think I'm, you were saying the same thing, Chris. I, if it wasn't for like desktop CNCs, I don't think I ever would have like got into it at all. I would have been either still doing 3D printers or off doing some other, like something else that caught my interest that I wanted to dive into. But, you know, it was, the, the barrier would have been too high, right? And both financially and and uh, knowledge-wise, right? Mm -hmm. To just decide, hey, I want to start using a, like a used industrial CNC machine. It's my first machine that's just, that, that, that wouldn't have worked for me in 2016. <laughs> now I'd be, yeah, I'd do it. But, you know, just getting into it, that would have been, that would have been a showstopper, right? If there wasn't desktop class machines at affordable price range. And the salt, like you mentioned, the software was a big plus too. So that, that made it really easy to get started with it. Um, Carbide Create 
I've never, I mean, sorry, not carbide create. I, I've used carbide motion. I, I was already into fusion, so I never really, I don't spend much time in carbide create, but I know a lot of people that do and like really like it. So, um, that don't have any like CAD CAM background. So that's, that's a big, uh, that's a big plus too, right? They can get in, they're, they're kind of, they're comfortable with 2D artwork and kind of starting with that. And, uh, I think you guys have a pretty good setup to help those folks. And then they can kind of slowly get into 3D. And still stay with Create, right, for a little while, and then eventually probably learn a, a real CAD CAM. That's a, a big part of the philosophy of Carver 3D for machines and software is how do we make it easy and less intimidating, and how we remove all those barriers for people to get started. Uh, and it isn't just uh, running the machine, but also the design software. Uh, how do we make it, you know, as simple as possible for someone to to make their first sign or their first coaster or their first aluminum bracket? Uh, so get, we want to give them the tools to be productive from day one. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you, you've got to graduate from Carbide Create to something like Fusion or, or some other CAD program. Uh, but the fundamentals are there. The basics are there. The way you draw a part in Create translates to how you would draw it in, in Fusion a little bit. Uh, it isn't a straight mapping, but, but it's there. The way you run the machine, the way you load your parts, all that stuff. We, we want to make sure that all that is, is as friction-free as possible so that people can be productive and then can, you know, use this, this knowledge uh, to continue to grow in, in, in their field. Whether it's a CNC machine business or a business that uses a CNC machine or, or it's a fun or it's whatever it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget the first day that I ran uh, like a mini mill Haas and I was standing in front of it and I was absolutely terrified to hit start. You know, I, I set the tools and everything and I set the Z height. And then as soon as I ran it and I watched it do what it did, I was like, this is the same shit like I, that I do on the Nomad. There is absolutely nothing different about it except for, you know, these controls, this machine's bigger. But as far as like the guiding principle of what I was doing, it was the same thing. And I, as soon as that clicked for me, I, all fear kind of went out the window and I was just in it. And that's one of the cool things that I, I like about it. And that's the thing that I, I preach about all like hobby class CNC machines. It's like, you know, a lot of people kind of, in, in the industry scoff at it or they don't take it seriously but man like the amount of potential that you that a person can learn from it is 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 huge and like i said you could you could afford it it fits in your house it, you know it's not messy there's no huge learning curve to dial in the machine or figure all this stuff out it's just get on it start working on it you learn a bunch of stuff that you can and then you, you can you can move on from that so i i've always been like i preach about that and to anyone that i meet like hey don't 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 think this this thing can't do what what you guys want to do just because it's smaller. It has nothing to do with the size. It's just how you use the tool. You know, don't complain about not having the right tool. Just make it work. You know, that's kind of the kind of the mantra and stuff. But another thing that I really love about what you guys do is I bought my Nomad Use as well because I wasn't sure you know if I was going to make it or not. Like as far as like the CNC career, and I remember buying it used, and you guys gave me such good support and i remember like you would help me like figure stuff out if i had an issue with something like that um i had a weird request where the guy that i bought it from he like chopped the the back of the acrylic cover off in half for I, he put like a vice in there and like like a machine vice that stuck out the back so he started cutting holes everywhere and it looked kind of gross so it was it was I really appreciate the fact that even though I didn't buy it for me directly, you guys still support the machine and you guys still help me get it back to kind of like normal looking condition. You replaced a lot of the parts that he, he kind of broke and stuff like that. So 
I've always been, I always like companies that do that. They stand by their product regardless of who bought them. Uh, that's, uh, it makes me really happy to hear that. And I actually do remember, <laughs> do remember your nomad. <laughs> uh, I remember packing up some, uh, a new acrylic window for you. Yeah. It's so, he, he chopped it up. Yeah. It was so disgusting looking. And I was just like, man, I hope these guys will sell me just the cover and stuff. Cause this is, this is really gross. Yeah. You know, people, <laughs> uh, will ask us that, uh, uh there's, a. Uh, uh, a little bit of a market for people to, you know, kind of like Eddie, who, who will kind of outgrow the machine and then uh, they sell it to someone else or they give it to someone else and they get in touch with us and they want to know if we'll support it. And absolutely. Uh, once you've got a machine, you're part of the family and, and we'll support it uh, no matter where you got it. Uh, if it was a gift or you bought it uh, used or whatever the case may be, you're our, our customer. And and that that means we're going to run through a wall for you, whatever whatever it is. That's really good because I think that machine lasts forever. So <laughs> it's like there's, there'll probably be three or four owners before it's like really tuckered out. And but, we've still got we've got machines from the Kickstarter days uh, that are still making parts. Wow! And you know we'll get an email from someone be like, ah, you know my I think my spindle bearings are kind of dying out. You know, can I get a new spindle? We we'll just put it in the mail. It's like here you go. If it's still running, yeah. we want it to keep running. We want it to be you That's know great. making dust. Winston, you've been kind of quiet. Uh, yeah, Winston. I'm just trying not to uh, to, to jump in too much because <laughs> I know a lot of these things and I've seen the behind-the-scenes uh, struggles of our support team. And I, I've been on the, the receiving end of some of these weird requests like, hey, <laughs> this this uh, user who I, I bought this machine from, he uh, he put an ER-16 spindle like in the machine. Like, can, can you guys get it back to normal for me? So I've seen a lot of strange stuff and all this resonates with me. Yeah, it's like, can I buy a BT-30 tool holder for my Nomad? I wish. George, we don't always get to talk um, just about career stuff. Is there anything that you wish you could tell yourself five years ago? Uh, like knowing what you know now about the struggles of running a, a business? Uh, maybe uh, I'd tell myself... 10, maybe the George of 10 years ago, because uh, the, the, that first that first step is a doozy, man, uh, when you decide that you're going to leave the comfort of a Fortune <laughs> 500 company uh, to kind of venture out on your own. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big decision. It's a big moment. Uh, there's a, the thing I wish I could tell myself is there's a, there's a lot of ancillary stuff that comes with running a company. Uh, and it's a learning process. Don't be discouraged. There's a lot of daily, daily little, little, little things where uh, a vendor is late or a vendor uh, under delivers something or over promise something, or uh, we, we've had you know situations where we've got entire con uh, containers or pallets uh, held up at customs on some random inspection, and you know they're they're in like a customs jail for two or three weeks, and it's a kind of stressful to like, will, will we ever get our motors out? Uh, little things like that. Uh, but it's also a very rewarding thing. Um, it's 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 you know I have to I have to sit back and, and kind of be an outside observer is, is difficult because you know Robert Ed and I are, are so involved in the day to day. But um, it, it's pretty amazing that you know we went from the, the three of us in twenty fourteen uh, to a company that is now what what I'd say you know uh, kind of at the forefront of of benchtop CNC machines or, or benchtop digital manufacturing a little bit uh it's pretty pretty awesome and sometimes i've, I've gotta i've gotta step back a, a bit and 
and kind of see the growth. Uh, so I, I would tell myself, keep doing what you're doing. It's going to work out. That's great. I think, um, you know, with these, everybody kind of locked down at home. It's like, I can't think of a better time to, you know, invest in a desktop CNC and have something, you know, have a new skill to learn, right? While you're, you're kind of, uh, not out and about doing the daily stuff that, that you used to get to do. So hopefully that's helping sales. I know it's kind of weird, right? Cause we actually hard to get. get emails from people who say, Hey, I've got my Shipoko for a few months. Uh, I decided I'm finally going to put it together. Uh, <laughs> how do I get started? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's definitely yeah. happening or, you know, the, yeah, they'll, they'll email us like, uh, there was someone who bought a machine two years ago and hadn't put it together yet. And I think it was missing a, like a belt clip or something. <laughs> so, so they decided that now, now was the time. And, and, you know, we're, we're there to help them out. Uh, our, our support team is, is uh, fully operational. So we've been, you know, helping everybody get going, get started. Uh, people are buying machines to kind of learn a new skill or, or finally get to that project they've been wanting to do for a while. Or they're, you know, kind of relearning Carbide Create. Uh, you, so we, we've... Uh, We've, we've got a lot of volume of, of people uh, getting in touch with us on, on getting started and making projects and stuff like that. I think that's a testament to how affordable this machine is because if your machine was like 10 grand, nobody would let it sit there for like a year or two and not build it, right? I think the fact that people can buy this at a really affordable price and kind of like have it just to use whenever they want, that I think that's super important, right? Because what's the point of building something really great or cool if nobody can uh, afford to use it or afford to buy it. it, it's pointless at that point, right? I think the fact that you guys make a really great product at such an affordable price that anyone can get into. And then if they want to take it further, you know, like a Vince Fab mm-hmm. or something like that and take it to the next level, they can. But if they don't, hey, it, you don't have to and it can still do the thing it was made to do. So I, I think I, I love that kind of I don't know if it was an intentional, but I love the way that everything kind of worked out for you guys because that's very cool. Uh, I appreciate the company that you guys run and you guys are nice enough to let me stop by there uh, a month or so ago to check out the shop. So um, I just, I just love everything about the company. So I hope you guys keep it going and stay in the business forever. Oh, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan, man. Hey George. So certainly, I mean, surely Chris's machine was not the worst nomad you've seen. What's, <laughs> what's, <laughs> it was what's like the worst horror story you've heard. It was pretty close. Uh, <laughs> There, there. I've seen nomads that uh, have been sort of skeletonized completely. Everything has been taken off. Um, people have made like uh, MDF enclosures to go around them with holes everywhere, and they've drilled into the C-axis. Um, uh, there was a, a a guy a few years ago who uh, uh, decided to put a plasma torch on a Shipoko. Uh, he was surprised that he uh, fried the electronics because uh, <laughs> he wired it wrong. <laughs> Uh, so if there's this, uh, it's a lot of that. Yeah, actually, plasma torch on Shevoko doesn't sound like it, it should have worked. But but yeah, he uh, he he kind of just sort of figured, oh, let's let's try this pin. Let's see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I I I I, I kind of wanted it to work, and I was disappointed when he sent me the photos and everything was just burnt out. But uh, <laughs> it was just plugged into the wrong thing. Uh. <laughs> I was curious if you guys have anything in the future work that you can talk about or, you know, I'm, I'm always curious as to what your next thing is. So I don't know if you can share that or if not, then that's fine. Uh, I can share a little bit. Um, obviously, don't uh, don't want to let the, the cats out of the bags, especially now with, with the COVID situation. Uh, 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 delivery dates are, are kind of hard to nail down right now for, for parts and stuff like that. One of the things we've, we've tried to do in the last 
year and a half is uh, speed up our development cycles. Uh, and I think you, you're starting to see the results of that uh, with with the things like the bit setter, uh, the getter tooth clamps, um, little things like that that are coming out. And this is just sort of the finally we're beginning to see the uh, the work that we invested into, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, and you're going to start seeing a, a more rapid uh, launches or the time between launches is going to shorten uh, uh, a lot. So we've got a couple of things uh, right now going through beta testing uh, with some of our, you know, uh, really awesome community members who are just uh, taking things for a spin, stress testing, making sure that everything works the way it should be. Uh, so we'll have a couple of accessories uh, coming out here, you know, soon, very, very soon. And then um, beyond that, uh, just kind of keep an eye out. There's some there's some really cool things that we're working on. So Luke has a, a funny saying in the forum who says, you know, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Hold, hold Luke's beer. <laughs> That's cool. I, I'm excited to see what you guys come out with next. So uh, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been super fun. You know, having Winston join us and, and Luke, it, it's it's really great to have uh, guys who are passionate about CNC uh, digital fabrication who, who who just know so much about it. Um, it's been really great. I, I've said it before, but um, having been on the other side, like just as a, a user. Um, I was always like, oh man, I wish I like Carbide 3D could could do this or that or do more. And uh, now that I'm on the other side of the curtain, I'm pretty optimistic about the uh, the future of the company. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's well said. Right. Yeah, it's well said. Uh, I, I think you've got to look at the engineering capital that that we've got between uh, Winston, Luke, Robert, Edward, guys who just kind of know CNC machining inside inside out. We have a a whiteboard of ideas. That's that's pretty awesome that we finally get, get a chance to kind of start knocking stuff out so i'm also very optimistic about uh the next few months it's gonna be it's gonna be really great that's very cool so if you guys want to be a, a beta tester sales at carbide3d.com awesome <laughs> uh, i will put my name first in line to do any beta testing for you guys um just curious that the toy company stuff what, what was your favorite toy that you made or designed oh oh man i have so many uh there's there's toys that I that I that hit the market that uh that are really you know close to my heart and, and toys that didn't. Uh, there's one in particular. Um, I don't know if you guys know Invader Zim. Yes. So yes, I do. so we pitched internally to our VP of Design uh, an entire Invader Zim toy line, and that actually you know kind of tying things things back up. We we designed all the toys, uh, like all the figures in Rhino. Uh, we did all the electronics. We had them three D printed um, at the at the at the model shop. We painted them. Uh, we did everything, everything, and it was a it was a really huge pitch, uh, and it was it went great. Uh, but we ended up not getting the license, so nothing you know nothing moved forward. I still have those toys in my office in my display case. I've got a couple of those. <laughs> um, I've got one that I've saved uh, in Invader Sim. There was a a very short scene of a giant fish. Wearing a bursuit, and I and I, I I modeled that fish wearing a bursuit in Rhino, and I three D printed it, and I've got it. So that's one <laughs> that never made it. Um, favorite toy that that got made. Hmm, there are a couple. One is a it's a little uh, Tinkerbell playset uh, that has all these little magnetic sensors everywhere, and as Tinkerbell flies over the playset, um, little little things light up, little flowers open up. Uh, little things happen. That was awesome. The other one, and it's this goes back to you know how do you make 
how do you give the illusion of, of something that's super advanced by using a little little you know cheapo 8-bit chip so we did this line of of cars at the time shows like uh, pimp my ride and uh, all those were super popular so we did a line of cars uh, called the whips xxl and they had these these like uh, we made these like xenon headlights out of white leds uh, we made like the real thumping speakers out of uh, little transducers. And there was a super cool effect where uh, when you open the car doors, the music would get super loud. And when you close them, the music would, uh, uh, the volume would drop, but not just the volume. We had uh, filters to to cut out all the all the highs. So it sounded like the bass. Uh, those, those were awesome. <laughs> I still have a couple in my garage. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. The, the Tinkerbell thing sounds pretty neat. Like I've always been fascinated with the toy industry. And then like, you know, recently my, my fiance's nieces, we bought them Hatchimals mm -hmm. and just watching them experience the Hatchimal blew my mind because I don't even know, first of all, like what material they use for the egg, but the thing hatched and it became alive and it, and it has like a personality. It has like these program traits it knows that when you like rub its belly or it does something, it's insane to me the the technology that's packed into that little thing. It was and awesome. Then, My niece has one. Um, we did uh, we did a, a, a something similar to that. Not not as good as Hatchimals. Uh, it was a little place place it for Barbie, and it had all, all these little animals, and all the animals had RFID tags embedded in them. So when you put the bear in the little whirlpool, uh, it would do a bear sound. Um, when you put the puppy in the whirlpool, it would be the puppy sound uh, everywhere. But there was also this, uh, the, you hatched the pets. So the pets came in this little egg that was locked by a, by a little motor. And you, you had to hatch it and talk to it. Uh, so there was a microphone built in. Um, you had to uh, keep it warm. So you would turn on the lights. And after a couple hours, it would, it would hatch. And the, this was, oh, man, 15 years ago now? Uh, it was, it was super crazy. fun, but Hatchimals is really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was more impressed than they were. Like, I sat there <laughs> with them for like an hour, like sitting down with them like, what? How do they do that? Like, I'm curious, do you, I'm sure you do that too, right? Like when you see a new toy come out or something, you'll kind of, you kind of want to break it down or take a look inside. Yeah, I used like that, to, I, we used to do that all the time. Uh, Thursdays, we'd go, it was uh, days to go to the toy store and just buy toys uh, and, and take them apart and see what kind of cool features were coming out. Uh, I haven't got a chance to do that anymore, but uh, that was one of my favorite things is just uh, Thursday afternoons, we go to Toys R Us or, or Target and just uh, go to the toy aisle and buy a bunch of toys and then take them back to the shop and take them all apart. Yeah, that's, that's freaking cool. I, I, was, I was blown away at just what was happening in front of my eyes and they, they don't comprehend what they're holding in their hand, but I was just like, wow, this is crazy stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's pretty cool how the toy industry has changed from, from when I started, um, you know, 20 years ago now, 22 years, uh, to, to all the awesome things that you can do now with, with Bluetooth and with the uh, internet of things and connectivity and integration with your iPad and iPhones and all that stuff, you know, back, I remember uh, the most advanced thing that I, that I can remember in 98 was, uh, a Winnie the Pooh toy that would, uh, uh, react to what was playing on the TV via some convoluted RF thing uh, <laughs> that would probably not pass FCC anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I bought one of those uh, Star Wars BB-8 toys, and I'm I'm like controlling it as on an app on my phone, and it's running around my house with like a mm -hmm. gyroscope inside and stuff. It's it's crazy how things are 
Conrad, but yeah, but thanks for sharing. I, I, I'm always curious about that. Kind Any, of stuff, anytime, so. anytime. Um, it, it was, uh, it was, it was fun doing it. Uh, sometimes it was tedious. <laughs> Other times it was just work and the grind. Uh, but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun too, to, to kind of uh, sit there and, and uh, kind of exercise your creative juices a little bit, uh, coming up with ideas and, and building the, the first, you know, one of a kind prototypes. That was super fun. And we still get to do that a little bit here at Cabaret 3D now, where I get a I get a chance now to, you know, lay out some cool boards of things that I think would be really fun or really cool. Uh, we get to build them, and Winston gets to test them. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to chime in with? Uh, George, do you have anything like? Because I know you mentioned the the Big Daddy suit. Let's say you just had like someone gave you a couple free weekends. Uh, I'm curious what you would actually work on uh, just for fun. So the other thing I would work on just for fun would be building a cafe racer uh, motorcycle. Yeah. Um, so you and Chris could bond about that. <laughs> yeah, I would I would love oh, to yeah. build a cafe racer. Um, when I was in college, uh, I made the huge mistake of buying a 66 Mustang um, because I had no money. And the thing was uh, just... <laughs> uh, I had Every weekend I was uh, working on that car, doing something... Uh, whether it was brakes or rebuilding the heads or the carburetor or wondering why it was still overheating, you know, when I drove two blocks. <laughs> um, so I've always enjoyed th that part of it. Uh, so if I, someone said, you know, George, here's a month uh, and you can do anything you want. Either I would build a big daddy suit or something cool like that, or I'd build a, a cafe razor. That's funny. Uh, my motorcycle is being shipped from New York as we speak. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the full circle of why I got into this in the first place. It was because I wanted to make something for my bike and I nobody made it. So I had to figure out how I was going to do it. And then that kind of set me on this path of fabrication and CNC and stuff. And now it's full circle because I'm getting this bike that I've always wanted. It's like the dream bike. And now I have all the capabilities that I need. You know, I have a UMC coming in two weeks. I have programming. I can do this. I'm a machinist. Like I, I can make whatever my mind comes up with and I'm, I can trick out my own bike without having to worry about what other people are making and stuff. Cause a lot of times I, I look at products and I'm like, ah, it looks okay, but why did they do that? Or why didn't they do this better here? And like, this isn't how I would design it. So now I get to like very, I get to like nerd out myself and figure out everything I want. So I'm super excited about that. That's awesome. And that's, that's one of the, the, one of the reasons why we do this, right, is is we we want to make machines for people to do this kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that they wanted to do forever, whether it's a bike, whether it's a, a sign, whether it's a coaster, or some intricate you know piece of jewelry that they've always wanted to make. Uh, so it's super exciting to hear uh, this kind of real world application of of you know you've got your bike coming and you're, you're excited to to build stuff for it. Absolutely, I can't wait. Hey guys, so we're we're a little bit over an hour, so I thought we'd uh, go ahead and wrap up. George, really happy you could join us. We've been wanting to have you on for a long time. I appreciate it. It was this. Uh, this is awesome. I've, uh, I, I'm an avid listener of your podcast. Uh, I don't want to tell Winston because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but you guys are you guys are awesome, and and I really appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, inviting me to come over. This this was super fun. Super, super fun. Thanks for coming. I mean, honestly, if we had more time, I'd sit here and just, because I, I would love to know so much more about like what you did before and what you're doing now and just kind of your design part, but that would be like a whole other hour and a half of conversation. Yeah, so maybe, we didn't even get into the uh, the uh, engineering part of it. The, the, uh, the Yeah, like <laughs> the actual engineering work. Maybe maybe we'll do that over a beer sure, next time. Sure, sounds good. 
Anytime, you're welcome to come to the shop. You too, Eddie. If you ever want to fly from yeah, I Texas, it. you're welcome to hang out with us. All right. Well, that will probably happen once this is all uh, yeah. all the virus stuff's over with. All right. Well, thank you again, George. Good night, y'all. Good night, y'all. Thanks, yeah. George. Good night. Thanks again.